February is Black History Month, and we have what I believe is going to be a very poignant discussion planned for this Unprivate Parts podcast. And even though the discussion is timely for the month of February, it's significant during all months of the year, during all days of the month, in every month of every year. But now in 2022, we know it's been a rough few years and very divisive with so many issues, including race. We're focusing on that as it relates to the medical community in particular today. Our guest in this episode is not only sharing her perspective as a Black woman, but as an endocrinologist, a mother, a New Orleans area native, a Baton Rouge resident, and a community servant who has a deep perspective about the state of our world, particularly when it comes to race, health, and medicine. That's in today's Unprivate Parts podcast. Welcome to Unprivate Parts, a podcast hosted by Women's Hospital. Join us as we pull back the proverbial curtain with honest discussions on women's health and the uncomfortable subjects we all want answers to. Welcome to the Unprivate Parts podcast. Thank you. I'm Melanie Bear. It is so good to have you. Okay, first of all, before we start this discussion, this is Dr. Brittany Bro, everyone. Um, but hello, 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 hello. I know it's so meaningful for so many physicians to have that prefix doctor in their name. And I really wanted to start off when I introduced you by specifying, even though I called you Dr. Bro, you said you do not like for people to call you doctor. And you, and even though you earned that title, you work really hard for people to call you Brittany. Why is that? Yeah. So, and this is a personal preference, but a lot of times when you are identified as a physician, you are automatically treated different, differently. Um, and not that I take offense to it, but I want you to treat me like you would treat Brittany. Does that make sense? Well, it does, but I'm wondering how you would describe that being treated differently when people find out you're, you are a physician. <clears throat> well, and that, that kind of gets yeah, into so our discussion. Today. I think before I identify as a physician, I identify as a black woman because that's what people see before they see me. Like outside a clinic, I don't wear a white coat. Even in my clinic, I rarely wear a white coat. Um, so my experience outside of the hospital walls is completely different from within, if that makes sense. So for patients to call me Dr. Bro, I understand it's a respect thing, but I personally want to treat my patients the way I expect to be treated. Like just a person, like being a physician doesn't, it doesn't make me above anyone else. It doesn't, you know, and people tend to not put it on a pedestal, but that title people treat me differently, right? When I'm in a store, for example, I've been followed around stores to make sure that I can afford the bags that are in my hand versus if I'm a physician or if I identified as a doctor, then I get all the help, right? Everyone comes from the back of the stores to kind of help me or service me in whatever capacity that is. I just don't like, I just don't like it. I, I can't explain it, but yeah. Well, you're explaining it and this is raising so much awareness to this issue and to your reality that you live? Is it something that you talk about generally before this podcast? Not necessarily. No, I think I speak more about it to family and friends, like people who know me, but outside of my village, outside of my circle, I probably don't. And we're going to focus on race issues specifically in the medical community today, but I really did want to touch on your family history leading into that discussion to give some background 
on your perspective. I know you were born in the New Orleans area and you're fairly young in your 30s. And I bring that up because your uh, great grandparents have some history with Oak Alley Plantation. Yeah. So I actually did, did some digging and I'm going to mess this up, but I'm pretty sure my great grandfather and great grandmother were born on Heinz Plantation. And my great grandmother left Heinz Plantation to work like in the house or like as a servant within the Oak Alley Plantation. At this point, my great grandfather, so the, cause I, okay. So the history was he bought her back to get her off of Oak Alley Plantation. So she was working to live there. No true income, no true. She was working to make her ends meet, have a place to stay on Oak Alley. Um, and he preferred her to be home with him and he worked at Heinz. So he purchased her, I guess, way or paid her share or however that works, married her. And then she moved back to Oak Alley Plantation. I mean, to Heinz Plantation. Um, there they had their seven children. Um, my grandmother as, was actually born on Heinz Plantation and lived there up until she was about like six, six or seven years old. Um, which for my family, after doing that digging, a lot of my cousins or a lot of my my mom and her, her sisters and brothers didn't know that my grandmother was actually born on a plantation. And a lot of history or, you know, African-American history or American history, we seem so far removed from plantation life. But my grandmother's alive and well and was born and lived and was raised um, on a plantation. So a lot of times, especially growing up for me, a lot of times we did these plantation field trips where you will visit, you know, where I'm from, there's the San Francisco plantation, there's a the Laura plantation, um, and even Oak Alley plantation. But you would visit these plantations not necessarily knowing that you have family here, right? That your roots are a part of this, I don't know, visual representation of what history used to be like. Um, and it really doesn't reflect as accurately as it feels for me, right? To be a servant or to not necessarily be looked at as a person or a part of a person. Um, but then to lead and raise and build and instill the will to still be kind and still be polite and to still be Christian and to still have values and to still look at others as if they are people, even if they don't look at you the same way is big for me. And, you know, talking to my grandmother to get the information for the story is I told her, I was like, you know, I just hope I make, we call her grandma, but I hope I make grandma proud. Ultimately, my great-grandfather um, moved them off of Heinz Plantation and they live in what is now called Woodland Quarters because that neighborhood was the slave quarters of the Woodland Plantation. But to raise a family in Woodland Quarters and to ultimately have a great-granddaughter who's a physician or great-grandson who's an IT guru or, you know, like to just come from that lineage and still be what society considers somebody to me she was somebody first does that make sense it does. it's it's deep for me like it it runs deep and a lot of times we are pushed away from our history or pushed away from our roots air quotes but sometimes when you learn what your roots are it kind of solidifies who you are today so for me yeah I'm a physician and Yes, I'm a black woman, but I am, I'm Gertie's great granddaughter for me, right? I am Geneva's grandchild. And despite my grandmother having to raise seven kids on and, you know, minimal to no help, 
we still did it. You know, she still made it. I'm still here. We are all still present and we are all valuable and valued in different ways. I take real offense to the concept of oh, slavery was 300 years ago. You guys need to pull yourself up from the bootstraps. My grandmother's 85 and she was born on the plantation, right? She, no, she was not a slave, but to be born and raised on a plantation sets you back. It It is, her bootstraps look completely different from the person who owned the plantation's bootstraps. So there is a disadvantage, but there is an advantage in the values that she has instilled in me. There is an advantage in being connected to family. There's an advantage in knowing your history. Like I have an aunt who's really big in like ancestry and learning and like she's this huge family tree in her kitchen. Like we, she's shown me like, oh, you're related to, okay, taking a step back. So what I learned from her was at the time of emancipation, a lot of slaves um, adopted the last name of the slave owners. But that was because when families were separated in order to find them, you knew if this person had this last name to go to, you know, this area or this plantation. Well, it just so happened in my family that they were all on the same plantation at the time of emancipation. So instead of adopting the owner's last name in efforts to try to find your family, they took their first name as their last name. So my family is very disconjointed because, for example, our tree goes back to the lineage of Gregoire. But the first Gregoire was Gregoire Gregoire, right? He was, his first and his last name were the same. So his brother, for example, if it was John, was John John. But they knew each other because they were on the same plantation, the same area. So, but as the families grow and as you remove from that initial lineage, a lot of that gets lost. Like a lot of your history, your culture, your upbringing gets lost in the, the, the new term, meet people where they are, is lost in the sauce, right? So just learning that piece and knowing that there's certain friends and family in my area, in our neighborhood where we grew up in Laplace, that we're all actually related. We're not just friends. There's some connection to, there's some tie to people that we actually don't know is big for me as well. Cause I'm huge in family, like huge in friends, huge in village. And I say all the time, Dr. Brittany bro was not created in a vacuum, right? Dr. Brittany bro was created by the experiences and sacrifices of everyone around me. From my grandmother, my great-grandmother, to my mom, to my aunts, anyone who helped me. Like, I could not be here without those individuals. Mm. Um, so, you know, a lot of times in Black history, we're, we're taking ode to those who have paved the way before us. But that's because those of us who are here today, we literally stand on the shoulders of giants. It, we, mm. we couldn't be here without those efforts or those sacrifices or those effects. And I think you even used the word advantage. You, you feel you have an advantage in the values that you were taught because of that history. Yeah, because it, it makes you rich. Oh. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. I, I love that. Um, thank you for sharing that. I can't. Do you feel emotional? When I do. You, yeah, I can feel. Yeah, I do. I, you know, I just, I feel the passion and the intensity. And um, I, I just thank you for sharing that because you're right. It does seem so far off. And that's why I was shocked. Uh, when I found out your age and that this is just not, this wasn't that long ago no. for your family. Yeah. And so for you, uh, you, you know, you've shared with me prior to this discussion that as a young black woman, you felt a bit of a disparity. It wasn't an advantage. It was a disparity when it came to having 
guidance in terms of the medical path that you wanted to take or even a path that could show you what was possible in the medical profession. So can you explain that a a little bit more for our listeners and and explain to us how you did end up getting into medicine if you felt that? Yeah. So a lot of times, my mom always says most things in life are not necessarily what you know, but who you know, right? It's about your ability to network and your ability to make connections and find mentors. And, you know, it it helps you to get to the places you need to be or get to the areas you need to go. And again, coming from where I had come from, I had not seen a physician, a black physician. I didn't know a doctor personally. They were out of reach, out of touch, right? Our community puts physicians on a pedestal because we don't see them often. They don't look like I do. Um, I have, in college, in order to get into med school, at least at that time, we had to go through this like medical board. And there was like a, a chairman of this medical board and you know, she made sure you had all the prerequisites and, you, you, you know, you were involved in X, Y, Z. But you had to meet with her <clears throat> where she would give you her recommendations and tell you what else you needed to do to clean up your application. And she basically said, you should consider being a nurse. H- had never even opened my application. She just looked at me and told me that I should consider being a nurse. And I asked, well, on what basis? Uh, I'm... I'm an honor student. I'm on the dean's list every semester. I have volunteer hours. I'm acing my my medical classes. What about me tells you I should be a nurse? And I fell apart, honestly, because the way it was described to me was this person was the person who would validate your medical career, your possible medical career. Mm -hmm. And to not get that validation from her felt like maybe I was doing all this in vain. And I literally went to my mom, grind, and I went to, there's another mentor. She was a personal mentor, um, crying. And she was like, well, she doesn't know you, right? My mom was like, she doesn't know you. She doesn't know who you are or whose you are. So that doesn't change everything you've already done. So because of the lack of what you saw growing up Mm -hmm. that identified your perception of a doctor, Mm-hmm. which was, in your words, it would, there were no black doctors growing up. Is that part of what you what, what motivated you to want to become a doctor Absolutely. and represent your community and your culture? There is a difference in trusting medicine when medicine looks like you or came from or comes from a similar background to you or understands what your life is like, right? It It is difficult to tell someone to diet and exercise. As a mom, for example, it is difficult to tell another mom to diet and exercise without understanding what life is like with a toddler, right? There, There is a difference in- Amen. Yes. There's a difference in understanding time when you're a mom to another mom. There's a difference in understanding culture from a black female to another black female. If I know what life is like if you grew up on rice and gravy, right? Like my grandmother made rice and gravy and pork chops. I get it. I know what that's like, right? So to get that that identification, to get that empathy, to get a, a person who understands you is sometimes what a patient, and every patient does not need it, right? But sometimes 
That's what a patient or a person needs in efforts to identify, to then believe in what you say, um, and then to maybe change some things about their own lifestyles. Because if you did it, then maybe I can do it, right? If you are just a person, if you're just Brittany and Brittany did it, then maybe I can do it too. That's hard to come by. To get a patient, I had a a 60-year-old patient, woman, come into me maybe like two or three weeks ago at this point and tell me she had never had a black endocrinologist. That's kind of weird for me. That, you know, and and it's harder to understand if you are not in the African-American community, but we are very supportive. We are all, and I say we, it, it is a blanket statement, but we are very supportive. We identify your mom, you know, she said, your mom must be proud of you. Your grandmother has to be proud of you. And yeah, they are, right? But from one black female to another, I see you. And I think you need that level in medicine of I see you. And you don't have to be, you know, you can be a white male and look at someone and say, I see you, you, you know, but oftentimes within the black community, we're very distrusting. We, we have, you know, the Tuskegee experiment, for example, that's a low hanging fruit, but there are reasons in medicine to not trust for, for patients, for black patients to not trust the medical community. And I think for me, what I wanted was to provide a layer or level of trust for those who didn't so that we all can get adequate quality medical care. So, you know, if I tell you, hey, X, Y, and Z is a good provider that you trust to go to that person and have X, you know, Y, and Z kind of care. Um, so, yeah, I wanted to provide that. I wanted to help people who looked like me or came from where I came from. Do you still feel the effects uh, of the Tuskegee experiment in the discussions you have with your patients and their, quote, distrust in the medical community? I mean, that, that's not something that goes away it is very not. quickly. And the best example I have is a lot of our behaviors are inherited. Okay. Mm, yeah. I am deathly afraid of dogs. Absolutely terrified of them. And I have a five-year-old son who is now deathly afraid of dogs. He, I had negative experiences in my life with dogs, but he has never had them. So to see him have as much fear as me bothers me because what I don't want you to do is inherit my trauma. What I don't want you to do is inherit my fear, but that happens culturally, right? So as an individual, I didn't necessarily experience the Tuskegee experiment, but I'm sure my grandmother did, and I'm sure my mom had her trickle-down effects, and now that has been passed on to me. And I think it's a generational fear that we have inherited as as a culture. Um, So I'm sure that I I meet patients who have fear, and maybe it's rooted in Tuskegee experiment. Maybe it's rooted into personal experiences, you know, Black people are at higher risk of hypertension, higher risk of diabetes, or higher risk of end-stage renal disease. We're at higher rates of maternal deaths. You name it, we probably have it. So whether that trickle-down effect was from Tuskegee experiment or some personal experience, I definitely see that inherited fear, air quotes, um, from patients on a daily basis. Well, and you... And you- are talking specifically about endocrinology. And mm-hmm. I think I'd like for you to explain specifically what endocrinology is, because it is it is a rare, a rarer specialty. And I know you do see the direct impact of nutrition choices that mm-hmm. you're referencing uh, that 
could be influenced by someone's financial situation or their cultural environment. Uh, So can you give us some specific examples of the main issues that you see as an endocrinologist among your patients and particularly the problems that seem to plague the black community? Absolutely. So as an endocrinologist, we manage from anything from diabetes to thyroid disease, thyroid dysfunction, osteoporosis, menopause, obesity, metabolism. It's a very broad range of diseases and disorders within the endocrine world. Um, Specifically to the African-American community, I think diabetes is probably the top uh, disease process that I manage that affects uh, our culture, affects that culture. And of course, your lifestyle affects how well you control your diabetes. Um, Just, and not necessarily from a financial aspect, right? But just culturally, if you are, I say all the time, Southern Louisiana is probably the worst place to have diabetes because everything is a, is an event from Mardi Gras to funerals, to baby showers. You're in king kick season right now. Exactly, (laughs) right? So there is a level of just cultural influence on diabetes in general, not just race, not just gender, but where we are, right? So within the African-American community, there is, I say, okay, there is this level of this passed down, I make my grandmother's cornbread, you know, I have my grandmother's potato salad recipe. Um, My aunt makes the best red beans and rice. My stepdad makes amazing red beans and rice. So we pass down traditions and sometimes the traditions we pass down do not coincide with what our medical health or medical comorbidities dictate for us. So there's this balance between tradition and culture and current day health awareness, medical awareness. And how do you balance the two? Because nobody loves my grandmother's potato salad more than me. So how do I balance my weight? How do I balance my blood pressure? How do I balance my diabetes and still enjoy the richness of my own culture and tradition? I think that's kind of where I am with it. We're new friends. I bet I love, I love I'm going to love your grandma's potato oh, salad. I want to try it. Uh, what made you choose endocrinology and what kind of role models as this young black a woman who was trying to get in or making up her mind about getting into the medical profession? Who were your role models? I say all the time, I did not choose endocrinology. It chose me. Um, Initially in medical school, I loved everything. I wanted to be an OBGYN. I thought I would be a surgeon. I thought I would do child psychiatry. Like I loved everything. I decided to go into internal medicine because at least then I could still kind of figure out what I liked most. I could be a primary care doctor. I could specialize. And up until like the end of my internal medicine residency, I was pretty sure that I would probably be a GI doctor. Like my mentors were GI providers. Um, and I just knew that's probably where I was going until I got pregnant. And I decided at that in that moment that it was more important for me to be a mom and the kind of mom that I identified myself as being versus being a, a physician. And that became my priority. And I had a vision of what it looked like and I could not be that mom and complete a GI fellowship with a newborn at home because the GI fellowship is very taxing and time consuming. So I went back to the drawing board. What else could I do? You know, I had very limited exposure outside of the major subspecialties. And I kind of went to 
she's still practicing now. I went to Dr. Johnson and I went to Dr. Kilpatrick. And those are two women in endocrinology I absolutely adore. And they basically told me your strengths and everything you love and the patient population you care about, you would be an amazing endocrinologist. And that's the first moment of validation I had ever received. And I owe those to my current career. Um, and I went with it. I went for it. I applied. I, made, I matched a spot in Ashner, New Orleans, and the rest is history. You've mentioned to me that you had what you call, and it's kind of a fad term right now, imposter syndrome. And I think oh, that's so do. common. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think do. it's so common. You know, and I, and I, I, it's so humbling that you speak about that uh, as a, a physician, too, uh, in particular. But do you think that for you, it has to do with race? I'm my own worst critic. And I think, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if race plays a role in it. I don't know if my gender plays a role in it. I don't know if my own anxiety plays a role in it. I think it's multifactorial. Um, but it is hard to, you know, not see other providers or people before me. You know, I met Dr. Story. I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Story. Dr. Story was the first um, black female endocrinologist that I'd met. She was working in Baton Rouge at Ashton, and I met her during an interview. And before her, I really don't know if I had seen any representation like myself. Um, for those not familiar with imposter syndrome, it's basically like you feel like someone's going to figure out that you really don't belong here, right? And maybe that's tied to my history. Maybe that's tied to my family. Like maybe I really don't, maybe someone will figure out that I'm really not as good as I am or that I'm really supposed to be doing something else. I don't know. Um, and by the way, you're very confident in your medical practice. This has no indication. Absolutely. Of, uh, but it's it's more of I work triple time overtime to make sure I, I belong here. I read and study. No one reads more articles than me. No one studies as much as me. I still do questions. I'm already board certified and I still practice right, outside of my actual practice. So it's more of... For my own personal goals, I don't know if I'll ever reach where I'm, I've arrived. Like I'm always striving to get to the next pinnacle, the next step of knowledge, the next conference. What else can I learn? What else is out there? And, and maybe that just helps me to continue to push the edge as far as what we offer at Women's or, or what we're capable of doing in our clinic. But I always want to know more and I never... I'm never settling, like I'm never satisfied. Gosh, that's that's so important to hear you say uh, in terms of just awareness of people with with the racial issues that exist today, and in particular, uh, the disparities in the medical community. Because I'm wondering, when you're talking about imposter, imposter syndrome, as much as we're hearing about that recently, if... Um, if that even subconsciously has to do with feeling uh, or, or being taught, if even without hearing the yeah. words being taught by society that you are, this is not your place. Like you said, you Absolutely. did not see any, uh, any black doctors growing up. And so you didn't think it existed. And so that must be a lot of pressure on you or at some point was, do you feel pressure yeah. and sort of paving the way for other young people uh, with darker skin? Absolutely. So here's what we were taught in med school is they only let eight of you in. So what you can't do is mess up so that they only allow six the next year. And I don't know how real that is. Or, so in a class of 200, 
there were eight African-Americans. You're saying that was spoken? Yeah, that was that was brought. So, and maybe this is the unspoken rule, but that was passed down to us. Like, hey, you got here, you're here. You better do the right thing so that they can keep the doors open for at least eight more. Because if you mess up, then maybe they'll only accept seven the next year or they'll only accept six the next year. And that's a lot of pressure to make sure you're not ruining the opportunities or chances for another person. Wait, I'm sorry. You're saying that was <laughs> that was spoken by an official? No, 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 no. Okay, no, that not was, an the was the unspoken. So this is what basically you're seeing this sort this of the, every year, sort of the token number that they absolutely. that they wanted to maintain is what you're saying yeah, to so represent quote diversity. If you want them to become more diverse, uh-huh. don't let anyone down. Uh-huh. Right. We want. So that's a the, lot of pressure. That's, that's a lot of unbearable pressure. and unimaginable. Yeah. And yeah, that to be the fr- among the first two. Yeah. And yeah. that that <clears throat> that carries that transcends, you know, you're hired, you're in a practice. Don't let anyone down. You're you're a physician. Make sure you you reach back. You are you mentoring? Are you helping? Like, what are you doing for the community? And there is this constant battle within myself, I guess, just to not let anyone down. And, and, and maybe that's where the pressure comes from. I don't know. But my goal is to make my mother proud. My goal is to make my family proud. So the Gregoire name means something. Even when I'm not here, my goal is to make Gertie proud, right? If you, if my grandfather, great-grandfather did all this work to get us off of Heinz Plantation to make a life for himself and his family, and I showed up and I did zilch with it what was the point of it all I guess for me so there is that level of again when you connect to your roots and you connect to where you came from there is that level of it will continue to drive and push you forward there will be that level of you will continue to excel and prosper because you want more you want better you want to make it all mean something it to be all worth something in the end like are my boys proud of me are my sons proud of me you know, I, I didn't do a GI fellowship. I did endocrinology. Are they still proud of me? You know what I mean? So there's a lot. It's it's very multifactorial. It's, it's, there are different facets and layers to being a female physician. How much time do you take off from maternity leave without looking like you don't want to work? Like, there are a lot of unspoken things that I'm probably going to And that's in, ev- that's in, in every any career. career. Yeah, exactly. For, for women, yeah. So, you know, like... How do you still stay to the forefront of your career and balance your family at home? Mm-hmm. That's hard. When you already feel like you were working extra hard Double time to prove to be yourself here. because absolutely. you have to represent. Yeah, Basically absolutely. and pave, help pave the way yeah. and turn around and be a role model. Um, and you say that you work really hard to heal this broken relationship uh, with the black community in particular and the medical community. What specifically do you do? Where does, you, does your mind ever rest with this? No, it never is. I think I'm very honest. And this is not just the black community, right? Like there's a difference in racial disparity in general from a black person to a white person, a female to a male, young to old. Like there are very, there are multiple bridges that I work very hard to mend or repair to make sure those, you know, those directions of communication stay intact. And for me, it's just being an honest person. I'm, my style of practice is not the paternal approach, right? There, There is a level of, hey, I'm the doctor. I know what's best for you. Do as I say, not as I do. That is not my style at all, right? As a provider, as a physician, for me, yes, I've studied and I know what the literature says. I know what the guidelines are. And here is what they say. 
But I also know that you're an individual, that you're a person, that you come with your own background, your own culture, your own story. So based on what's good for you as a person and what we know in the literature, where can we meet in the middle so you can decide what's best for you? And I think that's my goal in general. So from a young person to an older person, my goal is not to come in as a know-it-all. My goal is to come in with respect because that's how I was raised, right? You respect your elders. But my, my goal is to come in with respect, treat you like a person, tell you what I know, and then we work together to decide what's the best solution for you, black, brown, white male, female, doesn't matter. I know you're working with some other colleagues at Women's Hospital as part of an initiative for healthcare equity and equality. So what does that look like? And what do you hope to see with that? Yeah, so Women's has the Diversity Inclusion Committee. Um, and right now, we meet monthly and discuss all kinds of different disparities, whether it's in, from patient disparity, from employment disparity, and it's not just on gender. I mean, it's not just on race, but gender, you know, sexual preference, religion, the whole nine. And we're working to build and establish this inclusivity mecca, for the lack of a better term. Um, what I hope to see from it, which we've already started to see, is difference in hiring practices and strategies and, and more diverse representation at every level from, you know, administration, VPs, to providers and physicians and nursing staff and the welcoming committee, the janitorial staff. We're working to make every layer diverse and represent our patient population. You know, patients need to come here and feel, no matter what their preference is, no matter how they identify themselves, he, she, them, it, it doesn't matter. You are welcome to here. And not only are you welcome to here, but we see you. I think that's important. And I, and I, hope to see women's become that beacon for the community to where our patients come here and are, are seen and are heard. Do you feel that you guys are making strides Absolutely. In, at, here at Women's Hospital? Because sometimes I've heard some of my friends um, who have darker skin tell me that they've been a part of organizations like that or committees, I should say, like that, that were really more, for lack of a better term, for show. Oh. Right. And let me say that. And there's a very heavy layer of frustration. Absolutely. Understandably so. I will say our committee is challenged all the time about making sure our efforts are not for show. Before you put this out, how will this make a person feel? Before you have a Black History Month committee, do you understand that it's not just about February for a lot of these people, right? So don't make a program or a policy or a initiative to say that you made it, what's going to come mm -hmm. afterward? And I think we, everybody a part of that committee has challenged whatever subcommittee's policy protocol is to make sure at the end of the day, you're not using us. And I hate to use the word as a token, but don't use this committee as a token to say that women's has a committee. Oh, mm -hmm. we have a diversity committee. So we are inclusive. No, what are we doing about inclusivity? And I, I'm pretty sure I'm, I would put my whole heart and soul on the line that that diversity committee is not for show at all. Um, we have new VP, new VP of physicians who's an African-American female. We are working to develop these like outreach groups or like subcommittees where employees can kind of join and find and identify those who are similar, whether it's religion or whether it's music, whether it's culture, whether it's background, et cetera. Like we're developing these uh, almost like, I don't call them clubs, but they're almost like, different subcommittees, subcommittees across yeah. the hospital. Yeah, yeah, where you can join and meet people within this hospital who 
see you. I hate to, mm-hmm. that to be the recurring thing, but we're not literally not just for show. So you mentioned Black History Month yeah. in particular, and, I, and I'm glad I do want to end on this topic because I recently heard a podcast where they were arguing over, well, it wasn't really arguing. Um, I heard a debate in the Black community over whether Black History Month should still exist because the way it was described to me, uh, and I really want your perspective on this because um, the way it was described to me is first we got a week and we took what we could get, and then we got a month, and of course it was the shortest month of the year. Um, but now, why not have the whole year? Why does it have to be that we study the same people every February? By next February, you forget. So I would love to get your perspective on that. Um, do you see one day, if not now, where maybe you focus more in February, but that it Black history becomes more integrated in American history and not that so is segregated? The the answer is black history is American history. The answer is Native American history is American history. Hispanic American history is American history. We all played a role in developing this country where we are today. And the problem with Black History Month is that in some instances and in some institutions, it's the only time that black history is highlighted. So is it important? Absolutely. Because for some individuals, that's the only time you're going to hear about right. specific individuals or specific periods of time. So sure, yeah, it should exist for those individuals. But the ultimate underlying tone of African-American history or any culture's history within this country is it should be taught year round. We take American history courses and sometimes a lot strong, huge portions of American history are left out. And I think for those who are still arguing for Black History Month is because of that fact. Like if we don't have this month, then when are they going to learn? I have a sister. Um, she literally just taught her daughter's daycare black history facts because outside of that, they weren't going to do it. They celebrated some Panda Day. They celebrated some like rainbows, unicorn stuff. And there was no talk of black history in the month of February. So for her, it was like, okay, if you're not going to do it, that's fine. I'm going to make a, a lesson on my own. And I think that's what black history month is for the larger culture is, okay, we're just going to do this right now because you're not doing it otherwise. But I think the ultimate underlying thread should be that it's a part of American history. It should be taught the way everything else is taught within our school system, but we're not there yet. So until we are there, this will have to make do. Are, are, are we happy about it? I say we, am I happy about it? No, I'm not happy about it, but I understand that I understand its importance and I understand its role, but we're not there yet. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you hope to see? And, and by the way, we've been trying to do this podcast. We had to reschedule a couple of times because of COVID and And then clinic went over. And so I'm glad we will get it in. We were supposed to do it in the beginning of February, um, but at least we are uh, getting it somewhere in February. (laughs) But this is a conversation, as I said in the introduction, that we should be having not just in the month of February to that point. Um, What do you hope to see for Black History Month 2022? How do you want it to go in the books? I want it to be the olive branch to having these conversations in March. I want it to be the beginning or the start of us having these conversations in the fall, right? If there is a topic, regardless of what it's related to, regardless of the week or the month, that we have those conversations as they arise and we not limit it to these 28 days. 
Um, you know, a lot of people live black history. A lot of people, for a lot of people, for a lot of individuals, this is a 365 thing. This is a 24-7 lifestyle. And I told you before, you know, when I'm not here, when I'm not wearing this coat, I'm Brittany. I am Brittany bro. So for me, there is this layer or level of black history that it's not just about being a black physician. It's about being a woman. It's about being, you know, Geneva's granddaughter, right? So can we have these conversations outside of Black History Month? I think that's how Black History 2020 will go. It will go in the books for the segue to something bigger, the segue to something more consistent, to where it's not even about being a black female. Maybe it's about, you know, being a whatever, blending religions or changing the narrative or, you know, talking about whatever the topic is, but not limiting it to a certain time or a week or a month. Let's follow up on this discussion. Yes, indeed. Not in February 2023. Not in February 20 yes, yeah. sometime before. Absolutely. But I want some potato salad from, is it Gertie who makes the Gr potato Geneva. salad? A Geneva makes the yes. potato salad. They call her Miss Bay. Miss Bay makes the I'm very picky salad. with my potato salad, so I'm oh, trusting you Oh, you would on that. love this potato salad, I'm telling you. <laughs> Dr. Brittany Bro. Yes, ma'am. Better known as Brittany. Absolutely. Thank you so much for opening up uh, on this topic this year, this month, this day, and uh, we will see you back soon. Of course. I'm glad you had me, and I'm glad to be back. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Unprivate Parts. Be sure to follow Women's Hospital on social media and follow us in your favorite podcast app. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others. Thank you for listening.